Trust your Bibles have been prepared. We're in the book of Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 for the preaching of God's word. And I'll be reading from verse 1 down to verse number 14. Joel chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess. A day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, they hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it. Even to the years of many generations, a fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble. As a strong people set in battle array, before their face the people shall be much pained, all faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men, they shall climb the wall like men of war, they shall march every one on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks, neither shall one thrust another, they shall walk every one in his path, and when they fall upon the sword they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark. And the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. For his camp is very great. For he is strong that executed his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Therefore also now, said the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent? And leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. I just feel compelled to read this entire chapter. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. But I will remove far from, or off from you the northern army and will drive him into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea and his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice for the Lord will do great things. 
Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring from the tree, beareth her fruit. For the fig tree and the wine, the vine, do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locusts had eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm and my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am the, in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon my ha the handmaids. In those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. And the, Lord, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in the mount of Zion and in Jerusalem shall deliverance as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the importance of your word, the priority, the potency, the power. Pray that you would use your word in a special way to speak to hearts. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in lives. May you honor your word, honor yourself. Magnify yourself through the preaching of your word today. Save some lost soul. Stir the hearts of every believer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. As I get older, I am continually reminded and more aware that there are things that happen in one's childhood. Things that are said to you. Things that you observe that happen to others that stick with you and leave a lasting impression on your mind. There are many things that I can recall this morning in that respect. But today I want to share with you something that many years ago my dad said to me when he was in the process of building his house. For a backdrop to his comment, you would know that most often when you don't have all of the money and you're building a house, you build it in stages as funds become available. As a result, one must make decisions as to where and how you will use your resources to enable you to move into that house as soon as possible. My dad, in making such decisions, said to me, and I'm paraphrasing as best I could, says, in building this house, I am making absolutely sure that the inside of the house is livable and done and done well before putting a great deal of effort on the outside. He could not understand how people spend money and time and resources painting the outside of the house. 
and doing all this landscaping and all this stuff and the inside of the house is a mess. Not plastered. Not painted. And there was a principle being practiced to prioritize the internal that could not be seen by others over the external that could be seen by others. A similar principle is presented in the book of Joel, chapter number 2. And it's found in verse number 13, a verse that is often misquoted. And I'll read, not read rather, but I'm going to give you the misquoted version. And then we will look at exactly what the Bible says. This verse number 13 of of Joel chapter 2 is often misquoted as render your heart and not your garment. But in truth and in fact, it says, and rend your heart and not your garment. The context of this verse is such that God is saying to his people, his nation of Israel, uh, by the prophet Joel, that my people, you have strayed away from me. Uh, You have gone far. You have rebelled. You have gone and you have worshipped idols. You, You have gone far away from where you should have been with me. And I'm making an appeal to you to return. But in doing so, I want you to understand that I'm not going to be impressed by an external show. I will not be moved by the rending or the tearing of your garment. In other words, I'm not going to be touched by religious activity to give an impression that is not real. However, on the other hand, I am moved by a heart that is broken about sin. In fact, as God of the universe, I am actually impressed when you become more focused on what is taking place internally in the heart as opposed to what people see on the outside. And as such, God says, rend your heart. As a matter of fact, tear your heart. Let your heart be broken. In other words, my people to get my attention, focus on the inside as opposed to the outside. Now, God was not saying that the outside is not important. Make no mistake. God wants you to look right. God wants you to act right. God wants you to behave right. But he was appealing to his chosen people. Listen, don't get caught up in religious routine and rituals and give a false impression to mankind while at the same time disregarding the condition of your heart. This is still happening in the name of religion and Christianity today. As religious routine is prioritized over life change. God is saying to anyone who will listen, anyone who will desire his attention, prioritize the inside over the outside. I want to preach a message this morning with that same title. Prioritizing the inside over the outside. I want you to notice, first of all, as it relates to this 
particular verse, verse number 13, and that phrase where it says, rend your heart and not your garment. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. God wants us to have a concern that is appropriate. A concern that is appropriate. We understand here that God speaks to rending the heart. You see, my friend, when it comes to this concern, in other words, this concern to prioritize uh, my heart over what is externally seen, God wants us to focus on the right place. The right place. That place is the heart. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, it says, Keep thy what? Thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. He says, keep thy heart. In other words, protect it. Preserve it. Guard it. Monitor it. Now note with me that God is not speaking here to the physical heart that pumps the blood. But he's referring to the seat of who we really are. The seat of our intellect, our emotion, and our will. The heart, that immaterial part of who we are, that is the essence of our being. Note with me, as we think of the intellect and the emotion and the will, that the intellect, as we observe this heart, what you think. What you think. What we think is so important to who we are. Amen? Amen? Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. My friend, our thought life matters. What you spend time thinking about impacts who you are. As such, we ought to be cautious. Be mindful of what we let Enter into our ears and through our eyes. You point me to a person who's struggling with a terrible thought life. And I would say to you, check out what you are watching. Check out what you are listening to. The television shows you look at. The media that you observe. The music. The places that you go. The friends that you talk to. The things you talk about. The books you read. Even the courses that you take in school. My friend, whatever you let enter into your eyes and your ears. My friend, it is affecting the condition of your heart. Whether positively or negatively. And as such, one must be mindful and careful to have some filters on what you let into your mind. On the flip side, as much as we ought to be cautious and conscious and careful about what we let into our minds, here's what we ought to also be mindful of. That we are not responsible 
for polluting someone else's mind with what they see and what they hear. Be careful of what you say because what you say is affecting someone else's mind. It has become shocking to me that it is common practice among professing believers and Christians to curse and to swear. You are causing someone to have to put a filter on their mind. In other words, one has become now a pollutant of somebody else's mind and heart with their words. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Be careful what you say, because it is affecting someone else's mind and consequently their heart. But not only we are to be careful what we say, we are to be careful what we display. Because as our words affects someone's ears and mind, what we display affects someone's eyes and heart. This, my friends, is a practical reason why Christians and professing born-again believers ought to emphasize modest dressing. Why? Because you are providing, if you don't, imagery that is negatively affecting someone else's thought life. Do we think about these things? We ought to. Because the heart of man is affected by what we see. I'm thankful that I have a wife who helps me with this. Just recently, I was in a service. And listen, this happens lots of times. We might be out at a restaurant. We might be out in the general public. And she observes something that she, or someone, (laughs) that she figures would negatively affect my eyes and my heart. And she would just say, Wayne, don't look left. Don't look right. Why? She's endeavoring to help me to keep my heart with all diligence. Listen, none of us are exempt from a polluted heart. I want to draw your attention to Galatians chapter 5. Because this matter often brings about a lot of contention because we figure we are living in the age of grace which we are. And I have liberty and I have freedom. And oftentimes when this matter is spoken about or it is sought to put some parameters, it is somehow 
rebuffed as if you're trying to keep people in bondage. But I want you to notice what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 1. We won't read this entire chapter, but I'm going to pick out a few verses so we can get the context of what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He says in verse number 5, chapter 5 rather, in verse number 1, he says, Stand fast therefore in the what? Liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In other words, when you are saved, you have liberty in Christ. Thank God for it. They were no longer on the law. They were no longer under a set of rules and regulations and all these do's and don'ts and rituals. You are free in Christ. Look at verse number 6. For in Jesus Christ there is neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. He says, man, you got some liberty in Christ. Doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or whether you're not, you're free in Christ under the blood. But look at verse number 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Enjoy it, celebrate it, thank God for it. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. Listen, you got some liberty. But whatever you do in your liberty, don't use it to cause another person to sin. He says, be careful what you think. Be careful what you enable others to think. Your intellect is a part of that heart that we are to keep with diligence. But he says there is the emotion. The emotion is what you feel. I want you to observe very carefully with me that what you feel is affected by what you think. If you are thinking, let me rephrase that rather. If your thinking is bad, you are going to feel bad. Because you come to the wrong conclusion. If you had a friend and you saw that friend talking to another friend and you conclude that they are keeping a secret from you, all of a sudden, you get suspicious. Your antenna, as it were, goes up. And you begin to get jealous. I wonder what they're talking about. They're keeping secrets from me. Or you know what? They no longer care about me. That's your thought process. Now leads you to get discouraged. Get depressed. Want to abandon those friends. Then all of a sudden, here you were, a couple days later, you realized that they were planning your surprise birthday party all along. And all of a sudden, you're excited. You're joyous. You love these friends. They're the best friends ever. But what changed? Their activity? No. You're thinking. And your thinking affected your emotions. Your thinking affected your feelings. Your sorrow is turned to joy because your thinking changed. 
My friend, when it comes to this heart, we have to endeavor that we think right so that we can feel right. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. I want to show you something that is so clear in the word of God when it comes to this matter of feelings. You know, we are very feeling-driven. We are very feeling-oriented. And oftentimes, our feelings dominate our actions. But I want you to notice a very interesting passage in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse number 6. The background to this is that David, his family was attacked. His family was in trouble. They were in great distress. Verse number five, uh, they came back from, 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 uh, from an endeavor and uh, came back and recognized that their entire abode was invaded. Women taken captives. In verse number four, the Bible says, David lifted up his voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. His two wives, in verse number five, were taken. And look at verse number six. Think of the emotion of which we are people with emotion. That's a part of who we are. The Bible says David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. Notice the feeling that overcame David. But look at David's response. The Bible says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. Amen? He could have been overtaken by these feelings. But David was able to change the course of his feelings because he engaged his thought process in the Lord. But notice how David's intellect, his emotion led to his desires, his will. You see, my friend, your intellect and your emotion and your will are the components of what makes up your heart. Your will is what you desire. Your actions and how we think and feel affects how we act and what we even desire to do. Look at David's response. After he encouraged himself in the Lord, the Bible says in verse number 7, and David said to Abithar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abithar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Look at verse number 10. But David pursued he and 400 men for 200 aboard behind, which was so faint that they could not go over the brook Bressel. Here it is that David was able to change the course of his feeling, of his thinking, because he encouraged himself in the Lord. He thought right, so he acted right, and he felt right. You see how important the heart is. bring this home with an illustration of where we are. An individual may be going through financial difficulty and that individual begins to think, here am I serving God and I still have all these struggles. They got people out there serving the devil, cheating and stealing and they look like they're getting blessed. 
And here poor old me serving God and can't even find two pennies to rub together. Then we get jealous of what they have. Go down in the dumps. God, you don't care about me. You've forsaken me. You lose a desire to serve God. To worship God. End up avoid coming to church. And lose out on the blessing of the service. The word that would help you to get right and to think right. You miss seeing lives changed. All because of an inability to think right. But think of an individual who's in the same financial difficulty and says, you know what? God, you are a faithful God. You own the cattle on a thousand hill. God, your promises are true. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. Uh, listen, when you recognize that God, you still reign, you now avoid that feeling of discouragement, that feeling of depression. And you say, devil, get behind me. I'm going to be in the house of the Lord. I'm going to worship God. You come to church and you're down and you're out. But you receive a blessing from the singing. You receive a blessing from the word of God. You rejoice in the lives that you see change. Listen, the heart, my friend, is a place that we must be concerned about. It affects everything else. The heart is the headquarters of who we are and what we do. The concern that's appropriate recognizes that the right place that I have to focus on is the heart. But here's the second reason why that concern is appropriate. Because when we focus on the heart, we're not only focusing on the right place, but we are focusing on the right person. You see, my friend, when we focus on that internal place that is representative of who we are, what's ultimately happening is that we are focusing on God rather than people. Because we know that the heart cannot be seen by people. So what happens oftentimes, sadly, is that we tend not to pay attention to it. Why? Because we figure, you know what? It's hidden. It's hidden from people. It's kind of like when a parent tells their child to go clean your room. What does the child sometimes do? Take all the stuff and all the trash and all the dirt and uh, sweep it under the bed. And sweep it under the closet. Or, or put it in a, in a corner and then put a sheet and a, and a, and a cloth and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a towel and all kind of thing over it. When you remove it, you're like, what in the world is this? Because it's now hidden from view. I'm no longer need to pay attention to what is really going on. I don't need to pay attention to the mess. I just need to cover it up. 
But notice, my friend, that covering up is only covered up to the onlooker, the outside onlooker. The reality is that the problem still exists. When we are concerned about heart matters, we have switched our focus from what people think to what God knows. And that's a concern that's appropriate. Why? Because it ultimately says to God, God, you are the one that matters. You are the one that I've sinned against. So how can my focus be on what this person thinks? And what that person is going to say? And what this person is going to react? How are they going to behave? Why? The person who matters is not that person. But God, you are the one that matters. So when it comes to this matter of dealing with the heart, we must have an appropriate concern. That appropriate concern says that the place that's appropriate, that's important for focus is the heart. I have to address that place. It is a seat of who I really am. Who I am is not based on my hairstyle, my outfit, my external material goods, my talents and my accomplishments. That's not really who we really are. Who we are is represented by the condition of our hearts. The makeup of what we think, what we feel, and what we desire and ultimately do. That's who we are. God says, that's where I want you to focus on. That's appropriate concern. Rend that. Don't rend your outfit as an external show. It's a concern that's appropriate. That's the right place. That's where I deal with you. And by virtue of addressing that right place, the reason why it demonstrates an appropriate concern because in addressing that right place, you are focusing on the right person. No longer is it about impressions and responses of others. The focus has switched and has been placed primarily and ultimately on God. God says that is the kind of concern that I want you to have. And when we focus on God, I promise you, we get his attention. God says, rend your heart and not your garment. 
I want your concern to be about me. On my perspective. And we'll see next week as we continue this message that when that happens, things begin to move. Things begin to change. Why? Because God gets involved. Because his attention has now been had. Prioritize the inside over the outside.